we've been talking about God's structure of authority. And uh, thus far, we've had two sessions, and we've talked about, you know, that there is a structure of authority, first of all. And then we talked about what submission is in our last session. And uh, I, I think a lot of folk don't really know what submission is. And that's one reason why they're not doing it, just because they, they don't know what it is. But tonight I want to talk to you about this, and perhaps some in, in, in our following session, about this question, who am I to submit to? We know how, we've described how. Now, just because you know doesn't mean that you know that you're necessarily real proficient at it all at once. You, you, you learn, you live, you grow and develop. But who are we to submit to? We made some statements earlier to you about why we thought, you know, people don't submit. And I think one thing is people don't know exactly who they're supposed to submit to. Uh, Hebrews 13 says, submit yourself to those that have the rule over you. Obey them that have the rule over you. Well, you need to know who it is that has the rule over you. So I want to talk about who we submit to. Number one, who you submit to, is for, I'm talking about across the board. I'm not, just, I'm not just talking about you right now where you're at. I'm talking about where you begin. Number one, you should begin to learn submission at home by submitting to your parents. If you go through the scriptures and study and find who it says for who to submit to, you'll find that. In, in the primary stages, children are taught to submit to and to obey their parents. Is that right? You remember Ephesians, the sixth chapter, it says children, Ephesians 6, 1, says children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, I think that the first place you should learn about submission is, is not the church and not the school. It's at home. That should be reinforced by the church. And a good school would reinforce it. And you'd learn other things as you develop. But it should be learned at home. Now, notice with me, why don't you just go ahead and turn to Ephesians 6. We, we referred to it, but let's look at it because there's something else I want you to notice there. Ephesians, the sixth chapter, and the first verse. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Now that's a tremendous statement. To think that whether or not children obey or honor their parents could make the difference in the welfare of their life and even the length of their life. That's a truth given us in the Word of God. But have you ever asked yourself, why would it be that children's life could be bad as they grow up and actually their life could be cut off and shortened because they didn't obey their parents and honor their parents? Why would that be? Well, it comes back to this. We talked about from James 4, 6 and 7. He said, you know, and he said, submit yourself to God and resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And we talked about the fact that you can't resist the devil unless you're submitted to God. Because if you're not submitted to God, you're actually resisting God. If you're resisting God, you're yielding yourself to the devil. And you can't yield to the devil and resist the devil at the same time. Right? But if a child does not learn to obey its parents, then in essence what it is doing is yielding to the devil. Amen. And if it is yielding to the devil, it does not learn how to submit. And I think, you know, I, I'm going to talk about my own generation because I know a little something about my age group and my, my category. There's a lot of folk my age and especially a few years younger that, uh, that feel like the world owes them something. Do you know what I mean? They can't keep a job, a lot of them. They don't know what responsibility is. They don't know how to take orders. They get a job that they like, and if their supervisor said something to them, you know, and just told them to do something, and didn't just ask them to real nice or plead with them, they quit. 
And there's a whole generation of folk that go around with a, with a chip on their shoulder. Acting like the world owes them something. Like employers owe them something. Like the government owes them something. A lot of kids in school act like the school owes them something. Like, you, you know, you're privileged for me to be here. Now see, what happens if a child grows up and never learns how to submit? Then it will be impossible for them to exercise authority. Even if they're a Christian, if they don't know how to exercise authority, what's going to happen in their life? It is not going to go well with them, and they'll be cut off in midlife. Because if you don't know how to exercise authority, the devil's going to eat your lunch. Is that right? And what happens is these principles of submission are should be learned, and actually they're learned the easiest as a child. Now, if you're going to be successful, you've got to learn them sooner or later. But it's a whole lot easier to learn them at three than it is 30. Because by the time you get 30, you think you know something. Are you listening? And a lot of times, I mean, you've got 30-year, 40-year-olds, 50-year-olds that have never learned how to submit. Well, if you're going to be successful, you've got to learn it. But it's, oh, Lord, it's a lot tougher on you. When you, you know, you're an adult than if you're a child. It's the easiest to learn when you're a child. Now, there's some areas about child rearing and discipline that I'm not even going to touch because for one reason I don't have any. Phyllis and I don't have any. But I can approach it from some perspectives. For one thing, I used to be one. <laughs> right? And uh, and I know of some situations very close and very personally of of how things have worked. You know, I some things that other folk had a lot of problems with when I was going to school and different things, I didn't have any problem with at all. Because my parents were strict disciplinarians. Amen. I mean if I missed if I didn't there, there were rules. And there were, you know, regulations. And if you broke the rule, you incurred wrath. <laughs> and that taught me a lot about everything. I'm serious. You know, my dad would tell me to do something and, and, and there was no debate about it. You just did it. And if, you, and if he came in and it wasn't done, you're in trouble. And it's not this telling you a hundred times that you're going to be in trouble. You were already in trouble. Now, I've observed some parents, I mean, they'll tell a child, if you don't quit, I'm going to spank you. And they'll be still telling that tomorrow. And the child knows that they're not in trouble until mama screams. And rats and rats, now you better straighten up. They, they don't listen to words, they just listen to tone. And so that, that programs you to respond emotionally to things. But that won't work over here in the kingdom of God. You better learn when God said it in the word, that's it, no matter how you feel. Amen. So many things that make so much difference and could be so much easier if we just learn at home. Amen. Discipline. Did you know you can't always help people by making it easy on them? That's a, that's a truth a lot of folk have never seen. Did you know truth, excuse me, love, can you look you in the face and say no to your most earnest request? Did you know that? Did you know that love, real love, can look you in the face and say, no more. Yeah, but just one more time. No. Well, give me another chance. No. Love can do that. Real love will do it. I'm going to explain what I mean. I know of situations where parents didn't discipline their child. And where they were deceived. They didn't discipline them at home. And then when they got to school, the principal would call home and say, you know, your boy did this or your girl did this. 
And they'd go defend the child. Just automatically. Not even examine the facts. And, and, and you know, they said, well, you know, your, your child is involved with this group and they're doing this or they're doing that. Oh, my, my boy's a good boy. He just got mixed up with the wrong crowd. Hey, he's the one that formed the crowd. He's leading the pack. You don't know it. And then, you know, invariably, a situation like that, the, the, the teenager or whatever, they're going to get in trouble with the law. Breaking the speed laws, illegal substances, that kind of thing. And eventually the parents get a call and say, well, you know, here's your boy in jail. What are you going to do? Immediately they run. Go bail them out. They try to buy them out of trouble. They do it and they do it and they do it. But I'm telling you, that road has a bad end. Because eventually something's going to happen that daddy can't buy you out of. You're going to do something that nobody can fix. And Are you listening? And if daddy and mama really loved you, they'd drop the hammer a long time ago. Do you know what I mean by that? No, maybe you don't. How many remember the story of Eli in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel? Why don't you turn back there and look at it with me just a moment in 1 Samuel because there, there's a real truth here that, that I'd like to express. 1 Samuel. Now, you know the story about how Hannah asked the Lord for a child. The Lord gave her Samuel. She had already told the Lord that if he would give her a child, she'd give him to him all of his life. So uh, he, he was born and she weaned him and then she took him and, and left him at the temple with Eli, who was the high priest. Now, Eli had two sons. Hophni and Phinehas, or Phineas, depending on how you pronounce it. And uh, his two sons were wicked. I mean, they did terrible things. And yet they're in the priest's office. Now notice, for instance, in, in chapter 2, verse 22, 2.22, 1 Samuel, it said, Now Eli was very old and heard all that his sons did unto all Israel how they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he said unto them, Why do you such things? For I hear of your evil dealings by all this people. Nay, my sons, it is no good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people to transgress. If one man sin against another, the judge will judge him. But if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? Notwithstanding, they hearken not unto the voice of their father. Because the Lord would slay them. You know, you can go too far. How many know you can go too far? You can just ignore God and ignore God and ignore God and not judge yourself and not judge yourself. And what did 1 Corinthians 11 say it happened? You'll be judged. Now, what I want you to see here is this. The Holy Ghost moved. God spoke to Samuel, the child. Two, two times it came. One time a prophet came in this second chapter, and this is what he said in verse 29. He had spoken to, to Eli about how that God chose his ancestors and appointed them priests, but then this prophet said to Samuel in verse 29, he said, Why do you kick at my sacrifice and at my offering, which I've commanded in my habitation? Now listen, and honor your sons above me. And then it went on down to say, in the 30th verse, he said, Them that honor me, I will honor. They that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Then God spoke to Samuel in chapter 3, and in verse 13, he told him this about the same situation. 1 Samuel 3, 13, he said, For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. And God said, you honor your sons ahead of me. Somebody might say, well, he did all he could do. No, he didn't do all he could do. I used to, We lived by some folk at home when I was growing up. A family and this, this one, one little boy, his name Marky. 
And uh, his parents never disciplined him at all. I don't think he had ever felt the sting of a paddle or a belt in his life. It's time for him to go to school. Finally, his parents talked to him and they said, oh, you'll enjoy school. It's nice. Lots of friends. It's great. They have lunch, recess. So they talked him into it and he said, yeah, great. So they got him a little book sack, some little clothes. He got on the bus. He went to school. He stayed about a half a day. Decided he didn't want it. Threw such a fit that his mom had to come pick him up. Well, a few days passed. They decided they would, uh, you know, get him to go to school. So they, they talked and they talked and they talked. He said, no, he's not going back. He went once. That's enough. <laughs> so we came on the bus. This is a rural route. It took a long time to pick up everybody because you had to go five miles to get some folk way out in the boonies on dirt roads, you know. We went by and they come dragging him out of the house, his heels dragging in the ground. And they just kind of stuffed him on the bus and shut the doors real quick. And such foul language you never heard in your life coming out of that little boy. I mean, he called his mother names, you know, that I'd never heard. Called his daddy name, called the bus driver name, anybody that looked at him. Just cursing. And uh, so we pulled out. He went into a rage. He pulled off his shirt and he threw it out the window. He threw his books out the other window. He pulled off his pants and threw them out the window. Just a few seconds, he's naked there in the bus. Well, you can't go to school like that. So his folks had to come get him. And you know what they said? They said, Marky, don't do that. Be a good boy, Marky. Please. And he'd scream and curse. Be a good boy. Don't do that, honey. Be nice. Somebody say, what happened? He never went to school. I know folk 40 years old, still at home with their parents. Never married. Never had a career. Are you listening? You know why? Parents never disciplined. They never learned to obey. Anything they always asked for, they got it. They got in trouble, mom and dad got them out. They don't respect the authorities. They don't respect mom and dad. And they don't respect God much either. Even though they claim to be a Christian. Eli came to his boys. He said, boys, I hear about some things that I don't like. You know, this is not good. Now, you boys need to quit this. That's about all he did. And God said, he said, Eli knew this, and he did not restrain them. What should Eli have done? I said, you can't always help people by making it easy on them. What should Eli have done? Eli, when he heard this, he should have called these boys in. He should have set them down. He should have said, now, boys, you are flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. I love you like my life. I'd lay down my life for you. But this is the house of God. This is the anointing of God. This is the ministry of God. And you don't defile God's temple and God's sacrifice and God's offering. If you will repent now and bring an offering and bring a sacrifice like they would under the old covenant, and if I never hear of such a thing again after you've proven yourself, then maybe everything will be all right. If I ever hear of it again, you're out. Dad, you wouldn't put me out of the ministry. We work in the ministry together. Out. Out. And, and you might say, well, what if they had done it again? If he's a man of his word, they're out. If he's not a liar and a weakling. Are you listening to me? You might say, well, that's too hard. That's too hard, Brother Keith. Yeah, let me tell you what's hard. What's hard is his two boys getting killed in battle on the same day and them losing the Ark of the Covenant. That's what's hard. You might say, well, that would have happened anyway. No, uh -uh. that didn't have to happen. 
You, you read in the Bible, you'll see again and again, when God pronounces judgment, how many times does he say, if you'll repent and you'll do this, I'll repent me of the judgment that I said would happen. Eli could have possibly saved his boy's life by being strong and what many would call hard with him. He could have saved, he could have possibly saved their life, probably saved their life. Yeah. You know, the Bible says in Romans 11, Behold the goodness and the severity of God. How many know that God's a good God? How many also know that God can be severe? You need to know it. God can be severe. When God tells you no, He's not going to spat your hand a thousand times and play with you about it. Are you listening? He's not like a lot of, a lot of folks' parents was. You see, that's why it's so important for parents to teach your child right because you're teaching them about the character of God. And you better teach them correctly lest they get wild ideas about how God is and provoke him to anger. You know, in, in the par one parable that Jesus talks about, the parable, we call it the parable of the talents, Jesus uh, referred to God in the type as an austere man. You know, the servant that had the one talent and buried it and didn't do anything with it. And then he came back and he asked him, what did you do with it? And he said, you know, nothing because I, I knew that you were an austere. That means hard. I knew you were a hard man. And so I didn't, you know, I didn't, I was afraid. And he said, I'm going to judge you out of your own mouth. You knew I was. Why didn't you do something? That's the type of the Lord. You know, I've heard my parents talk about how their parents disciplined them and I know how my parents disciplined me to some degree and how that that's been lost a lot of times in a lot of families. But did you know that my parents talk about they had a, a fear of their parents in some ways? Do you know what I mean? They, what I mean by that is, is if, if, if their dad got really mad at them, they were, they were afraid to break the rules and do wrong. And yet, there was a great love there too. Amen. Did you know, the Bible talks a whole lot about the fear of God. The Bible, New Testament talks about our God is a consuming fire. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Right? Did you know that, that, that folk ought to be afraid to sin? The wages of sin is death. And judgment comes because of sin. But I'm telling you, a lot of folk and a lot of charismatics are so flippant about things. Well, you know, got First John 1, now we just use it. I'm telling you, that's awful close to, to despising and doing insult to the Spirit of grace. Because you've got to realize what that cost for you and I to be able to come and confess our sins and be able to be washed in them. You don't just use that flippantly. You don't just say, well, I, you know, it's easier to get forgiveness than it is, and I'll just go ahead and do it and then get forgiveness. No, uh-uh. If you sin willfully, after the knowledge of something, there remains nothing but judgment. It's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. I know, you know, uh, when, when I was I was a teenage boy, and my dad and I had and have a tremendous relationship. and fellow, I mean, we'd sit and talk, just talk to each other for hours. But I tell you, he could talk to me and, I, and make me cry as a 16-year-old boy. And I never cried about anything, you know, along in that age. I mean, I was, you know, trying to be a man, be tough, you know. And, and he could just look at me and speak to me. And I mean, just I'd just crumble and cry. And if he got angry, I don't, and he was not the man, kind of man that just flew off the handle. But if he just got angry, he wouldn't raise his voice, but he'd just speak sternly to me. And I mean, you know, it, 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 it made me straighten up just like that. Well, God is a God to be feared and reverenced and respected as well as loved. And we need to know, see, uh, we, we know, we know that God is love, but you need to know the goodness and the severity of God. There's some things here that are very important to having a fully rounded idea of the character of God. And they can be taught the first place in the home. Amen? You can't always help people by making it easy on them. Love can look you right square in the eye and say no. 
You hadn't learned it the easy way, so I guess you're going to have to learn it the hard way. Amen. That's right. My dad told my brother, my younger brother, about some things, and he didn't listen to him. He said, he said, now I've told you what to do. He said, if you get in trouble with the law, he said, don't even call me. I've warned you. I've told you. He called him. He said, uh, well, let me know when you get out. Hung up the phone. Some folks say, well, I, you know, dear God, I couldn't, I couldn't stand to do that. I love my child too much. Is that right? Maybe you don't love him enough. Are you listening? Maybe you don't love him enough. You know what real love will do? Real love is more concerned about how you're going to turn out than how you're going to feel about me for right now. Real love will even jeopardize our immediate relationship for your ultimate good. Won't it? Real love will do something to you that might cause you to just hate me and not even want to talk to me for months. And yet, if I believe, it's going to help you to come out and to pull out. And ultimately, to have the victory. But I tell you, you've got to be strong to do some things like that. Because some of those things will tear your own soul. Just tear it. You, you hurt worse than they do a lot of times. But if you're strong and you love them enough, you do it. You know, I know some situations where, where parents are just drained by their kids. Their kids drain them financially. And mom and dad can't say no. They say, well, I love my baby too much. You don't love them enough. Love sometimes has to be very hard, tough. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Well, you're not shouting too much, but <laughs> I, I believe this, this will make a lot of difference if folk could really get a hold of it. So anyway, I believe first of all, we should learn to submit to our parents. Amen. And honor your parents. After you're away from home, you always honor your parents. I said, my parents are not believers. They don't even, they're not, not even Christians, whatever. Well, still honor them as best you can. Amen. A lot of ways you can honor your parents. And in the Old Testament, honor often meant financial help. Do you know that? Oftentimes, I don't know about you, but I have a desire, as God prospers me, to be a blessing to my parents. Don't you? I mean, they clothed me and fed me and took care of me for a lot of years. And was available to me, and, and I just feel like that that's right, you know, to honor your parents. Anyway, if you do that, then you'll learn principles that will stay with you the rest of your life. Like I said, I didn't have a lot of problems. When I got to school and the teacher said, do this, this, and this, and this, you know, I was used to following orders. When you got involved with this or the other, it, it wasn't that big of a transition. But why some people have so much trouble in life, even in middle age, is because they never, ever learn those principles at home. And if you're going to make it, you've got to learn them sooner or later. And it's now it's as soon as you can start. Now, number two, if you... Uh, if you're going to be successful, you've got to learn how to have authority in your own being. How many of you know that you are a spirit, you have a soul, you live in a body? The first Corinthians, the ninth chapter in the 27th verse says, you know, Paul said, I keep under my body and I bring it into subjection. How many have realized that you actually have rebellion in your flesh. Have you ever noticed that? Has, has it ever flared up on you at all? <laughs> Before you can be a good anything, a good husband, a good father, a good minister, a good employee, before you can do, be a good anything, you've you got to get this settled within yourself. You've got to get control and make your flesh and your mind submit to your spirit. Elsewise, you know, there's no need talking about the rest of these. You can't do that. You wouldn't make a good husband or wife. And you won't make a good minister. Or employee. 
You got to get that in control. You got to control your mind and you got to control your body. Now, if you want to find out if your flesh has got any rebellion in it or not, there's just a few little simple things you can do. Just tell it right away. You know, there, there, there's a, a little simple two-letter word you need to use a lot on your body. No. Right? No. <laughs> Is that right? You say, okay, buddy. We're going to get out here and do 50 sit-ups. So you hit the deck. One, two, three, four, five, six. And your body says, that's it. That's all I'm doing. That's it. And a lot of people, that's it too. The end. You got it in your heart. You said, man, I feel like I need to pray. Not just five minutes or ten. I need to spend a little time here in prayer. So you go in and you kneel down there and you're, you're praying. You know? Are you not there too long? Until your body says, uh, hey. Hey. How many of your body's got a voice? Uh, it's not audible, but it's real. Hey, Keith. Hey. Hey. If you're dumb, you'll say, what? <laughs> and your body says, uh, hey, uh, you know, when we went by the refrigerator a few minutes ago, I saw some, uh, some chicken and some beans in there. Let's go get it, all right? Okay? Let's get it now, all right? All right? All right? <laughs> Why are you laughing so hard? <laughs> what, what should you say? No. no, shut up. I'll let you know when you can eat. Shut up. We're praying right now. See, that is your spirit making your flesh submit. Right? That's not all. <laughs> Maybe you're there, you know, and you've been kneeling and praying. Then you get to pray in other tongues. And when you pray in other tongues, your understanding is unfruitful. Right? The Bible says. So you're praying away and your mind's sitting up here doing this. You know, just twiddling your thumbs. And, and how many know your mind's got a voice? And your mind says, hey, hey, Keith, Keith, hey. And if you're dumb, you'll go, what? And your head says, uh, I'm bored. I'm tired of doing this. Let's entertain me. You know what I mean? There's a program coming on TV. You're not going to let me miss it, are you? Let's, uh, something, you know, entertain me. What do you say? No. 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 Now you've got to use a firm hand on your flesh or it's going to get out of hand. Is that right? Did you know I don't care if you are born again, spirit-filled, sanctified, tongue-talking, Bible-quoting, your body, my friend, will do anything you let it do. You know that, don't you? It will. Your body will do anything you let it do. You know, the day after you get saved, you're a brand new creature in Christ Jesus, but you know, basically, you still got the body and mind of a sinner. Is that right? Immediately, you've got to begin renewing your mind to the Word of God and keeping under your body. If you can learn how to discipline your own being in your own self, then you're a long way towards dealing with any other situation that you're going to deal in life. I mean, if you've got it together inside, then you can cope with any other situation. You can be a good husband, you can be a good wife, you can be a good minister, you can be a good employee, whatever you need to be. Now, when it comes to the flesh, so many people are dissatisfied with their self. And that affects the way they view life in general. 
And it affects how other people see you too. When you come to dealing with the flesh, fasting is a word that is not used very much anymore. People don't like that word. There have been excesses in fasting. There been a lot of problems with fasting. But really what, what, what fasting means is not necessarily so much that you just miss a meal or two or whatever the case might be. It's a matter of putting the body under. You know what a good fast would be for some people? Half a day in a room by themselves. No TV, no phone, no radio, no books, no tapes. Are you listening? Maybe not even a Bible. Just get in there and seek God. Wait on God. Because see, your flesh gets antsy. It wants to do something. It wants to move. It wants to go. Your mind wants to be entertained. That's why a lot of folk don't get a lot of things from God because they're in too big of a hurry. Amen. But in our society, we're such a pleasure-oriented society until most folk, even Christians, they withhold no desire from their flesh. If your flesh wants it, let's get it. If it's food, whatever it is, if it's sleep. But it's going to help you spiritually if you learn how to discipline your flesh and control your flesh. Amen. The devil's such a liar. He lies to people about their physical appearance. And lies to people that they can't change. It's a lie. You know, we're going to talk about husbands and wives, I think, just real soon, right away. Like next session, you know, pastor doesn't change his mind. Changed my mind, I should say. But, did you know, husbands and wives have a lot of trouble over each other's bodies. Did you know that? It's true. My wife and I have been able, you know, talk about and learn some things ourselves and counsel with, with a lot of other folk and, and work on some situations. And I'm telling you, a lot of folk think, you know, well, you know, the body's not that big of a deal, but I'm telling you, it is. Marriage is a very physical thing. Amen. And if you think, you know, well, you know, uh, we let our bodies go, but we, we spiritually, we have a good relationship. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Did you know it's impossible for man and woman to have optimum relationships with each other in marriage if each one of them are not convinced that they are attractive to the other? If the woman doesn't feel pretty, the man doesn't feel handsome, if the woman doesn't believe she's attractive and feminine, if the man doesn't believe he's, he's masculine and attracted to her, it, it affects everything about the way they act toward each other and perceive each other. And the thing about it is that you can change your flesh. Just simply by putting it under. I say this oftentimes, you know, flesh is like Play-Doh. <laughs> what do you mean by that, Brother You can have any kind of a body you want to have. Oh, some things are preset for you, like the color of your eyes, length of your nose, you know, a few things here and there. But I mean, for the most part, size and tone is totally up to you. Depends on what you want and how much you want it. But a whole lot of people don't have the body they desire because they're not, they have not been able to put their flesh under that degree. And for that same reason, a whole lot of people don't have the spiritual development that they desire because it's the same principles. I said it's the same principles. It is. You know, there's a lot of people who'd like to have the physiques that some of our athletes have and what have you. But why doesn't everybody have a physique like that? Because it takes exceeding hard work. 
Is that right? It takes consistency. It takes discipline. When your body says no, you say, I didn't ask you. And you do it. When your body says, I want it, you say, no, it's not good for you and you don't eat it. Is that right? And you don't just do it one day or one week. It becomes a way of life. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. There's a lot of people that look at people spiritually and say, man, I'd like to, you know, I'd like to be spiritually where they are. I'd like to develop. I'd like to have this. I'd like to know this. Well, the same reason that everybody doesn't have an athlete's body is the same reason that everybody is not spiritually where some folk are because it's exceeding hard work. Your body says, I don't want to read right now. You said, I didn't ask you. Your mind says, I don't want to play right now. You said, I didn't ask you. Amen. I'm still talking about putting your body and your mind in submission under your spirit. You never live a life in the spirit. We never have even an optimum natural life until we learn to do it and grow in it. Amen. You believe it? I'm telling you, friend, nothing is impossible to him that believes. But faith has action. Amen. First of all, you've got to believe that you can be spiritually, mentally, solically, physically what you desire to be, what you believe God wants you to be. Amen. And if you're married, what your spouse wants you to be. Whatever the case, whatever demands are, you've got to believe that you can be. Don't say you can't. Don't check how you feel. Don't check how you look. Believe that you can be what God wants you to be. Then you got to have patience. You know what I'm saying? Because you don't, you know, you're not going to get there overnight. I don't care whether it's physical. I don't care whether it's mental or spiritual. And if you're not in good shape spiritually or physically, the principles are the same. If you didn't get there overnight and you're not going to change overnight. But you've got to be consistent. Amen? Then diet. You've got to eat right. Physically and spiritually. Oh, I'm not talking about being a diet fanatic. And if you take somebody's nutrition book and make it a Bible, you're going to get messed up. Did you know some of the, some of the works on nutrition that everybody, that a lot of folk grabbed a hold of and ran off with a few years ago? Now, folk have proven that they were wrong. That makes me wonder what might happen to some of the current works. Right? Somebody said, what's the solution? You have the Holy Ghost inside of you. Be led. Follow your conscience about what is right for you. Amen. And where it comes to spiritual diet, you know what that is, don't you? That's the Word of God. Amen. But see, you got to feed on it. And when I was first born again, I could read a chapter and I felt like I'd really done something. Because I hadn't been reading anything. You know what I'm saying? I mean, and I was doing, I was doing all right. How many know that when you were a baby, your mother, you know, took a little Gerber's jar and a little bitty spoon and put a few bites in your mouth and you were happy? But you know, in about 20 years, when that little baby is six, six and 300 pounds, you don't hand him a Gerber's baby jar. Is that right? He eats large portions to feed that big body. Is that right? Same thing is true spiritually. As you grow and develop spiritually, what you used to do is not sufficient anymore. Now, instead of reading a chapter, you need to read 10 chapters, 20 chapters. You need to read a book or two. Are you listening? Feed your spirit on the Word of God. Nourish it up. Nourish it up. But how many know you don't get super strong and develop just by eating? That's right. Not spiritually any more than you do physically. You got to what? Oh, that's not a dirty word. <laughs> Exercise. Exercise can be very, you know, uncomfortable at times, both spiritually and physically. But you've got to do it. Somebody said, you know, how do you get strong in faith? People say, well, faith, you know, by hearing the word. Uh-uh. No, uh-uh. Romans ten seventeen said, faith comes by hearing the word. He didn't say that's how it's developed. See, a lot of people spiritually are like the guy that sit down and he watches the Mr. Universe contest. And he says, hey, that's what I want. And so an ad comes on for a gym, you know, they're advertising. And so he goes down to the gym and he says, ha, 
I want muscles just like Mr. So-and-so. And he gets out his pocketbook. He says, how much are they? When can, when you can, when can I get them? I want them now. And they look at him and say, you got muscles. No, I mean, I want muscles like Mr. You already got muscles. Well, I want Mr. muscles like Mr. So-and-so. Okay, fine. Follow me. So, he follows them. And they take some weights or something and they stick it and they go. They said, now, now, lift that. He strains a little bit and he goes, no, I don't want to do that. Was he going to get them then? Same thing spiritually. Folk come up in the line and say, lay your hands on me and give me some of that. <laughs> give me, give me that anointing. Give me that faith. Give me, give me, give me. I want it now. People pray, oh God, make me a strong faith. I want to be a faith man. I want to be a faith Samson. I want to be a faith giant. I want to be an Elijah. I want to be like Jesus. Oh God. And then a trial comes their way. And they start crying and say, I don't understand why this happened to me. Honey, you said you wanted big faith. Now, gird up your loins and get with the program. That's how you get strong faith is by exercising your faith against problems, trials, tests, demons. That's how you get strong faith. You don't get faith by reclining on the sofa with some iced tea listening to somebody's tape series. Are you kidding? No! No! Now the potential will come. You'll get nourished. You'll get fed. But how many know you can't? I don't care how much protein supplements you drink and vitamins you take. If you just lay up on the couch, you may get big, but you're not going to get strong. <laughs> Is that right? I'm telling you, I think a lot, I think a lot of us, I say us, need to shape up. Spiritually, mentally, soulically. Soulically, we need to quit being such big babies. Wearing our feelings right here on the edge of our sleeve. And every time somebody says, Oh, why'd they say that to me? Why'd they treat me? And just go cry like a big old baby and run, go tell everybody and have to counsel them. Big old babies. <laughs> grow up! Grow up! So that if people, I don't care what they tell on you, say, Ah, they're just, you know, they don't know what they're talking about. They grow up. <laughs> I had somebody just, you know, just let me have it a while back. I mean, they just called me everything but a nice fella. You know? <laughs> just, just gave me the, the, the works. You know what I did? I smiled and I said, <laughs> I said, if you knew me, you'd like me. <laughs> I said, you just don't know me. Now they may have had a problem the rest of the day, but I didn't. That's their problem. Amen. Boy, I just, I just like that so, I just enjoy that so much better than going around all the day pouting like somebody hurt my feelings and, dear Lord, let's go up. Amen. Let's put our body under. Let's get where we want to be physically. Here's a little secret, friend. Married folk, listen to me now. We're going to talk about some of these things. I'm going to close here. Later on, I mean. Later on, we're going to talk about it. We're going to close now. <laughs> physically, here's the truth now. This might, you might not shout about this, but physically, you know, if you're married, the, uh, the worse you look, the better other men look to her. Husbands. Wives. The worse you look, the better other women look to him. You might say, no, nah, Brother Keith, you don't know my spouse. They're spiritual. They pray. They don't bother. Yeah. Like I said, I don't care if they pray six hours a day, read four books in the Bible a day. If you got flesh, flesh is flesh. Are you listening? 
So they're just, you know, there's some things we can do that would greatly enhance our own personal esteem, our relationships. Amen. And I guarantee you, putting the flesh under in one area will help you in putting the flesh under in other areas and it'll really help your spirituality all the way around. I'm telling you, it will. I'm just, you know, just, just from a few things that, that I've seen that helped me in my own life. But nobody said it'd be real easy. Your flesh will cry and whine, beg and plead and say, I can't do without it and I have to have this and what, what do you tell it? What do you tell it? You didn't forget, did you? What? Well, you tell it, you gotta tell it right now. No! No! You know, you know what that, that verse says in some translations, I keep under my body. It says, I beat my body. Yeah. That's what he said. I beat it. I knock it. I kick it. You gotta be rough with yourself. Now don't deal with other people like you deal with yourself. The Lord told me this one time. I don't mean to hurt an audible voice, but I know he, I know he spoke it to my heart. He said, don't deal with others like you deal with yourself. Because I'm rough on me. And you see, a lot of times people do it. If they are able to put their flesh under in an area, then they think everybody else ought to do it too. So they grab, grab them by the nap of the neck like you grab yourself and go, just do it. <laughs> no, you do you like that. Grab yourself by the neck. You say, boy, I'm talking to you again. You do it. Now. But other people deal with them like God deals with you. Patiently. Mercifully. Kindly. And you're sowing good seed. Amen. Stand up with me. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Submission. You know your flesh doesn't like that message, but your spirit will rejoice and be glad because it's freedom when it's exercised. Amen. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.